Back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins, fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. With draft season nearing and the underwear Olympics in the books, draft pundits are beginning to finalize their big boards, and we're going to talk with one of the very best in the business today. Jordan Reed of the Draft Network joins us. We'll get his biggest risers from Indianapolis. We'll talk some quarterbacks and, of course, talk about his updated top 200 big board All of that and more here on this Wednesday, March the 4th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And I am very pleased to be joined today by the senior draft analyst for the Draft Network, the host of Locked On College Football and former North Carolina Central quarterback. He is Jordan Reed. Jordan, thanks for joining me, man. Thank you for having me on, Travis. Yeah, it's good to meet you down in Indianapolis. Your first combine, my first combine. And with that, that's kind of the theme of the week here on the Drive Time Podcast and across all kinds of podcasts out there in the podcast universe. And so I wanted to first ask you, which players out there that really did well for themselves, whether it was the interviews or the on-field workouts or the measurements, who really made the biggest strides last week in Indianapolis on your big board? Um, there was quite a few guys that really did bump themselves up. Um, you know, it's just different getting to see these guys in person just because you can watch all the film in the world and you can read all about these guys, but it's just different being in front of them and actually talking to them. But one guy that really did impress me was Kalevon Chason, the defensive end from LSU. And what impressed me so much about him is that I actually got the first question into him. And I just said, man, just go ahead and say it, like address the run defense issues that everybody has with you. And he was just said, he just said that, you know, whenever you're hiring somebody, do you want to hire somebody that speaks one language or three languages? And he said, I'm the guy that can speak three languages. And he said he can rush the passer, he can drop in coverage, and also he can play the run. So I thought that was a really impressive answer. And then I thought the tackle class, I thought it definitely lived up to the hype. We saw what Tristan Wirfs did with his 40 time and his vertical running 485 was just incredible. And then jumping 36 and a half inches at six foot four, 320 pounds is just remarkable. Makai Becton was unbelievable. We had Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills performed really well, but they were a bit overshadowed by what Tristan Wirfs and then what Makai Becton did. So I thought the top tier, the offensive tackle class, really lived up to the hype. Well, I want to kind of go around our rundown we have here that I prepared with you, Jordan, because you made a good point there about this tackle class. But first, real quick, you mentioned the three languages of Caleb on Chason. And I saw a stat that in the Alabama game, he had 21 reps going backwards in coverage and only 18 as a rusher. So that speaks to his versatility very, very well in that regard. But to get back to the tackle class you mentioned, the Dolphins traded Laramie Tunzel last year for two first round picks and a second round pick. And then next season, in my opinion, Jordan, this 2021 draft class is pretty much loaded at the top of the offensive tackle position as well. So where do you kind of place the value of that Laramie Tunzel trade? And do you think the draft classes we have the next two years really make it even more impressive for the Dolphins? Yeah, definitely. Anytime you can get a treasure trove of picks, I think it's always a good thing. Now the hard part for Chris Greer and Brian Flores is just turning those picks into actual players. And it's always easy getting rid of these guys or, 
you know, trading them for something, but turning them into actual players. That's really where the hard part really comes for them. So it's going to be really challenging, and I'm really excited to see what they do. But, I mean, I'm really – I don't want to say I'm glad that they made the trade for Tunsil, but I thought it really made sense for them just because, especially a team that's going through a rebuild and a guy that was really going to be asking for a contract here soon, by the time he really was hitting his stride and in his prime, it really didn't make sense to keep him here in Miami. So I thought they did a really good job of getting value for Tunsil. Now, if they do want to take a tackle, whether that's at 5, 18, or 26, we'll see what does happen with that. Or if they want to wait till 2021. Now, I haven't actually dug into the offensive tackle class in 2021, of course, just because it's a year away. We know Panay Sewell from Oregon is one name that's already out there. But we'll see what does happen with Miami and how they decide to attack the offensive tackle position going forward. And Chris Greer has gone on record on the Move the Sticks podcast and otherwise saying that they do view this as kind of a two-year approach, a two-year snapshot. Is that common for you in terms of scouting circles to kind of have an idea about what you might be looking at next season? You mentioned you haven't looked at the offensive tackle class, but is that kind of rare to do that? Well, sometimes you get teams that really look ahead and I think a lot of fans get caught up in doing that like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields everybody's already looking forward to that quarterback class for next year but I think fans kind of get a little bit caught on the hype a little bit more than what teams do just because teams take a year-by-year approach and I think the Dolphins are just fixated on exactly what they're going to do with this treasure trove of picks that they have this year and they have to understand exactly how they're going to attack They have to treat this thing as a year-to-year operation, and I think that's exactly what Chris Greer is taking. That's the approach that he's taking. And we talked about your risers up the board for the Combine. You just updated your 200 big board on the Draft Network. Again, Jordan Reed here joining me on the Drive Time podcast. And I just want to kind of get your general consensus from that 200 big board. Like, what stands out from Jordan Reed's big board compared to some other pundits out there? And just kind of talk about the activity of your big board the last couple of weeks. Um, I think what really stands out about it is just the guys at the top. And there's a little bit of shuffling going on just because you're seeing guys really make standout uh, performances, whether that's at the combine or, you know, some of the other things that they did down the backstretch of the year. And, I mean, Chase Young is a guy that's been at the top for me since the summertime, but Jeff Akuda and Isaiah Simmons are guys that have skyrocketed up the board just because Akuda was basically a one-year starter uh, coming into the year. He's, I should say he only started three games coming into the year. This is his first year in 2019 where he was a full-time starter and I mean he's just been phenomenal Isaiah Simmons we know what he's done and how well he performed at the combine and then I mean you get the quarterbacks that have skyrocketed up the board Joe Burrow is a guy that was basically relatively unknown coming into the year he was seen as a mid-round pick but he went out and probably had arguably the best uh, football season that we've seen from a college quarterback in quite some time or possibly ever and then the offensive tackles a lot of people didn't know about a whole bunch of these guys coming into the year outside of Andrew Thomas, but I think they've done a really good job of performing up to par and really competing with the uh, excuse me competing with each other. And you mentioned that quarterback class. We of course have you know four or five, maybe even six quarterbacks valued in that first round based upon what the draft network says. And always that bump you get from the quarterback class in terms of teams going up after the quarterback sooner than expected because of the value they offer your team. So can you kind of sort this quarterback class for us? How do you rank them? And also, what does each guy do at top of the class that separates that player from the rest of his peers in this year's class? Yeah, so I'll just start with Joe Burrow. He's pretty much seen as the consensus top guy, and, I mean, he's probably going to end up being, if all signs point to exactly what is expected to happen, of him being a number one overall pick, him being under center in Cincinnati. And I mean, the production speaks for itself. He was phenomenal, 60 touchdowns, over 5,000 yards passing. This year, he had a season quite like anything we've ever seen before, and 
you know, he had a plethora of weapons down there, and he was able to use them uh, properly. So Burrow was just fantastic. But I think the thing that makes him stand out is just his pocket movability, uh, maneuverability, I should say, and just his improvisation, his accuracy, and just awareness of where to go with the ball at all times, no matter which platform he has to throw from, whether that's within the pocket or being able to create and play a little bit of sandlot football outside of the pocket. I think that's where he does thrive. So uh, Cincinnati's going to get a really good player with him if they do elect to take him at the top of the draft. And then the next guy, we have Tua Tagovailoa. I don't want to say he's the consensus second guy, but amongst most boards, he's the second quarterback too right now. I should say QB2 amongst most boards right now. But durability, that's the one thing that is always going to be circled on his resume and the big question mark that he has to answer. On April 9th, that is the pro day that he's going to have. He's going to have a separate workout from everybody else to where he's just going to have a throwing session. I'm sure that is an event that pretty much every team in the league is going to want to be at just because they want to see how healthy Tua is going into the draft before a team ultimately has to make a decision on where to draft him. And I know that has been a popular name of being linked to the Dolphins. So I'm sure Chris Greer and Brian Flores will definitely have some interest in what's going on on April 9th. Then after that, I think you get into a lot of guys that really have some question marks. And Justin Herbert, I'll just start with him, a guy that came back for his senior year. And a lot of people were expecting a little bit more from him, but I thought he played really well down the backstretch of the year. And the big thing that Herbert has done this year, I think that has separated himself from some of these other guys, is that he went down in the senior bowl. He was fantastic. He competed. Then he went down at the combine. He did exactly what he needed to do. So I thought the competition aspect is showing that he can be a leader. I thought he, he I think he checked two big question marks or two big boxes, I should say, of going into the pre-draft process for him. So he's done a really good job of answering some questions out there that were out there about him. And then Jordan Love, a guy that that opinions are kind of all over the place a little bit about him just because he had a very productive 2018 season, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions. Then he comes back. He has a precipitous drop off in his production, 20 touchdowns to 17 interceptions. But. There was a lot of changing variables around him, had a new head coach, new offensive coordinator, and he lost his top three weapons as well. So that's something that he does have to his disposal. And outside of that, you're getting into some other guys, Jalen Hurts from Oklahoma, another guy that a lot of teams are kind of mixed on right now just because uh, he, he has shown some progression as a passer. But a lot of teams still thinking there's some room for growth there. And he's a guy you really have to invest all in on, similar to a Lamar Jackson situation with the type of offense that you're going to run with him. And then you're getting into some third and fourth tier guys like a Jacob Eason from Washington and then some other guys along the lines of that as well. Anthony Gordon from Washington State is another late round name that they have a lot of teams excited as well. And I always have to put a obligatory go Cougs in there talking about the Washington State players because I, of course, went to Washington State. And you mentioned some <laughs> of the later round draft picks there at the quarterback position. I do want to get your thoughts here, Jordan, on who are some good value buys kind of by round because this Dolphins draft, you're going to see that logo up on the TV pretty much every five or 10 minutes, it seems like, with all these draft picks they have. And I know we talk about sleepers being a day three pick, maybe late on day two even, but I want to get your feelings for who could be some good value you picks by round and it doesn't have to be the second round like it could be pick 18 or pick 26 who are some of the best value guys you might be able to get along each step of the way in this year's class oh uh, so I think one guy I really like that I what that I think really fits what Brian Flores wants to do as far as defensively and just having an ultimate chess piece on the back end uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. the safety from Minnesota 
I think he's one guy that really fits what Brian Flores wants to do as far as a guy that can really move all over the place. And I know positionless prospect has been a very common phrase for a lot of prospects around this time of year. I know Isaiah Simmons, that has been commonly pegged as a phrase used to describe him. But I think you definitely can use that phrase also with Antoine Winfield Jr. just because he's not just a safety. You can use him as a blitzer. He can play a nickel corner. He's even had some some plays where he's played outside corner. Now he's not going to be able to survive consistently out there just because he's not a super big guy. But that just goes to show you just the type of type of versatility that he does bring to the table. And that's exactly what Brian Flores talks about all the time, that he just wants these guys to be interchangeable. And he wants to be able to use some guys in certain areas. And he's a, he's a very creative mind. So getting a guy like an Antoine Whitfield Jr., he can move him all over the place. And one sleeper name that I think really fits what Miami wants to do. Now, he's probably going to be a third or fourth round pick. His name is Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame. And he's more of a four-eye or four-technique, meaning that he's probably going to be head up over the tackles for the most part. And that's a common position in Brian Flores' defense. Now, he's not a speedy edge rusher or anything like that. But if you're looking for a player that can two-gap and really hold at the point of attack, I think he's a player that definitely could fit in what Brian's Flores wants to do in his defensive scheme. And they had plenty of guys running multiple positions across the defensive line last year. Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins pretty much played anywhere from the nose at the zero tech all the way out to the five, like you mentioned there. So that versatility always goes along with this football team, both on the field and on the sideline with the coaching staff. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on just some more Dolphins targets here late in this draft, because again, they're going to have so many draft picks beyond just those top three rounds, maybe into that third round, some of the smaller school guys, some of the sleepers in the back half of the draft. You got any of those guys for me? here Jordan um some small school guys maybe they're looking for an interior offensive lineman now he's not going to be a late round guy maybe day two late day two early day three Robert Hunt from Louisiana Lafayette and also his teammate Kevin Dotson I think either one of those guys definitely can be a value pick uh, whether that's in the third or even the fourth round I definitely think either one of those guys definitely will be really good pickups and then we also have a quarterback situation coming into the offseason, but we do know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the quarterback currently holding down the starting position heading into 2020. And I put a piece up on MiamiDolphins.com kind of talking about how he's aged better at the back end of his career now in year 15. And really statistically speaking, on the film, analytics, everywhere you look, he's improved late in his career. What are your thoughts on Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback next season for the Miami Dolphins? Love him. Whenever you're thinking about a guy that is an ideal bridge gap type of quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick is definitely one of the top names that comes to mind just because what I love about Fitzpatrick is that he always understands his role and he never complains about it. He's going to give you 110% every time he's out on the field. And he also generates some excitement while doing it. And he's the ultimate leader, I like to say, just because guys are going to play hard for him just because they see the effort that he's given. And, I mean, he was the team's leading rusher last year. So that just goes to show you, like, how well he played last year and just how much he lays it all out on the line. And team and teams are seeing that, and the guy, his teammates are seeing that, that he lays it all out on the line every time he's out there on the field. And he welcomes competition, and he, he embraces it, and he runs with it. So 
that's something I've always enjoyed with Fitzpatrick, no matter where he's been throughout his career. Yeah, I can always talk about the ability for the Dolphins' offense to score points late in the season. They had 125 first downs in December last year, just to make a reference point to that. The Baltimore Ravens, in the month of December, the number one offense in the NFL, only had 112 first downs. So Ryan Fitzpatrick definitely got that offense cranking towards the end of the year. Jordan Reed, the Draft Network, Lockdown College Football Podcast. You guys can find him on Twitter, at NFL. He is not Jordan Reed of the Washington Redskins, the Draft <laughs> Network. Jordan, we appreciate your time so much, man. Thanks a lot for doing this. Thank you as always, Travis. Pleasure being here. And one of the things Jordan did so brilliantly there for me, and probably unintentionally, was he teed me up to get into my next segments here, talking about a couple of pieces on MiamiDolphins.com. And I want to parlay this right into the Ryan Fitzpatrick piece, talking about how he has improved with age. And we actually heard him talk about that last year at his first minicamp way back in April, just a month after he signed with the Miami Dolphins. And there are some age perceptions that are out there in the NFL and football world in general. And obviously being old in football is much different than being old in real life. But typically right around the 30 mark, that's kind of when conventional wisdom says maybe the clock starts on this player. And I've always made the argument that for quarterbacks, the more they see the game with their mind, and especially as we get further and further into this modern day era of the National Football League, that quarterbacks get sharper upstairs. And maybe even if the physical skills are not what they were at age 25, that they can play even better football because playing quarterback is all about how you beat teams with your mind. And that's why you see guys like Tom Brady winning Super Bowls post 40th birthday or Drew Brees throwing for a billion yards every year in his 38, 39, age 40 seasons. And Ryan Fitzpatrick's career is basically on a similar trajectory as that. And he mentioned it last year at the minicamp saying, quote, I think in the last four or five years, I've really gotten better every year. And I think as funny as it sounds, I think my best football is still ahead of me. And although the box score is not the end-all be-all, the data does agree with Ryan Fitzpatrick that he's trending upwards in his career. If you go back over the past six seasons, his numbers have improved from the first nine years of his career post-32nd birthday, a 60.8 completion percentage. That's up by a full point, a 7.4 yards per attempt average. That's up almost a full yard, 0.9 points better than what it was the first nine years of his career, a 4.8 touchdown percent compared to 4.1 in the first stage of his career, a 3.1 interception rate compared to 3.6, and an 86.3 passer rating compared to 77.5. Now, if you narrow that focus even more, just the last two seasons with Tampa Bay and Miami respectively, it's been the best two-year stretch of Fitzpatrick's 15-year career. 63.5 completion percentage, 7.9 yards per pass, 4.9% touchdown rate, 3.3 interception rate and a 90.4 passer rating and the most recent sample size to even narrow that focus more and take a look at the final 12 games of the season when he came back into the lineup off the bench in the fourth quarter of the Washington game. Since that time, he threw 19 touchdowns compared to nine picks. He completed 63.1% of his passes and he rushed for 229 yards and four touchdowns on 52 carries. That 12 game stretch right there with 23 total touchdowns 
touchdowns, 19 passing, 4 rushing. That gives him a rate of 1.92 touchdowns per game produced. That's the franchise's highest single season rate since Dan Marino in 1994, who was at 1.93. So one one hundredth of a touchdown per game better than Ryan Fitzpatrick this last season. What about advanced metrics and Ryan Fitzpatrick? From week six on, he was the 10th highest graded passer on pro football focus. He was the 12th overall quarterback on PFF. He ranked second in first downs over that stretch and 11th in touchdowns. Cumulatively, he was pro football focus's 16th graded quarterback on the 2019 season. And among quarterbacks with at least 20 throws, downfield, that's 20 yards or more. He ranked ninth in passer rating and on throws in which the ball came out in less than two and a half seconds, Fitzpatrick's 14 touchdown passes on that particular instance was sixth best in the National Football League. And how about playerprofile.com? They have the Dolphins quarterback as the seventh most completed air yards in football last year and 13th in completion percentage when throwing under pressure. He finished eighth among all quarterbacks in rushing yards per game and fourth among quarterbacks in touchdowns via the ground game. And one thing I never want to do is just use stats to tell the whole story. I think they need context. And when you look at the tape of Ryan Fitzpatrick, there is context littered all the way out throughout his tape that shows you that he has clinical teaching level tape that he's putting out there every single Sunday. There was a play in the Washington game, again, to go back to that, where they're operating from 11 personnel, which is one back, one tight end, three receivers, and he motions Mike Gesicki into the backfield to a line next to him along with the tailback, and Devontae Parker runs a post against against press man with one of the two split safeties. It was Landon Collins in this instance, hanging out over the top and Fitzpatrick's job. He's the one that has to move that safety. So what does he do? He shoots his hips and his feet and his eyes over to the flat. And that makes Landon Collins bite on that route. It displaces the safety and creates a throwing window. And then Parker wins off the line of scrimmage, beats his man in press coverage. And Fitzpatrick throws a shot for a touchdown to put the Dolphins within one point with 10 seconds to go in that game. You go way later in the season into December, the week 15 game at the Meadowlands. He drills this gorgeous seam route, a touchdown again to Devontae Parker. Once again, an 11 personnel, a two by two alignment. You have Isaiah Ford come across the formation to even up the alignment and the Giants are in a hybrid coverage, which is zone on one side, man on the other with a single high safety reading Fitzpatrick's eyes. And once again, with a favorable matchup with Devontae Parker in that slot, Fitzpatrick had to move the safety, which again, he does. He locks on the one side of the field, taking a look at a corner route to Mike Gesicki, which gets that safety to turn his hips just for a beat of a second, and that one false step into the boundary opens up the field, and Fitzpatrick throws a frozen rope 25 yards right on the button for a touchdown to Devontae Parker. So stats, data, the film, it all adds up to what Jordan Reed said, the perfect quarterback for this team right now, and Brian Flores imitates those thoughts. Quote, I think Ryan is a great leader. He's shown that already. He's been in the league for a long time. He's smart. He works hard. He embodies a lot of the qualities that we're looking for in our players, not even our players, everyone in the organization. That leadership is something that I think this team needs. We need that from not just one player, but we need that from everyone on the roster. End quote. All right, that will about do it for us on this Wednesday, March the 4th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Visit MiamiDolphins.com for all my written work and all the great work of all the people working in this organization on the social side of things, on the video, on the audio, and of course in print, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.